Welcome to Genia Conversations Redefining Healthcare. I'm your host, Andre Durkin. My guest is Dr. Jay Bott. He's a practicing primary care doctor and a geriatrician. He's also the chief clinical product officer and medical director of the Medical Home Network and a contributor to ABC News. In part one of our conversation, we discuss why he's called the dancing doctor, his choice to become a frontline doctor in underserved communities in Chicago during the COVID-19 pandemic, and vaccine hesitancy. If you enjoy our conversation, follow us wherever you get your podcast to learn more about Genia and how technology and analytics are improving healthcare. Let's get started. Welcome. I'm so glad you were able to join us. What made you become a doctor? Thanks so much for having me. I just really deeply admire and respect Jania's work and leadership and contribution to the field. And being in medicine was a result of being exposed to communities that were struggling uh, growing up. Uh, My dad, a pharmacist on the south side of Chicago, and my mom, a factory worker. And I would spend a lot of time at my dad's uh, pharmacy uh, on the south side of Chicago, seeing patients in the clinic, but also going to people's homes and seeing the challenges that they faced. My uncle was a cardiologist. So I saw you know, healthcare not only as a way to help bring people to good health, but also as a way to help people achieve their potential uh, and growth. Because we know that if you're not healthy, you can't work effectively. You can't learn. You can't see. You can't hear. You, um, you know, can't contribute in a way that not only is important to society, but is also fulfilling for you as an individual. And so I was spending time in these communities and one moment uh, with my dad at people's homes where we brought medicines and education uh, that helped them change their health trajectory, but also, you know, at a barbershop where a group of docs uh, put a clinic in the back end of that barbershop and said to black men, if you want to get your haircut for free, then you got to be seen by the doctor. You know, meeting people where they're at in the community was really a driving force along with my family influences and the the fascination with science of how it could really just change the trajectory uh, of someone's life and their well-being. I uh, wanted to doctor in underserved communities as a vehicle for social change because I saw places in the community where when you partnered with communities to change their future, they got to better health. And that happened uh, when I was in places with my dad, but also in barbershops and in other places where people live, work, learn, and play. Uh, and so I also wanted to partner with communities to help them towards a better future. And so I had this opportunity you know, to really be on a journey uh, that wasn't just medical school, but a lot of on the ground, kind of in the fire experiences and learning that helped become really an advocate for health and equity. Well, I know you've had a number of different roles. Uh, you're a practicing doctor. You were the chief medical officer for the American Hospital Association. I know you're very involved in um, COVID vaccine and sort of distributing that more broadly to communities that may not have had the same level of uptake of others. Is there a recurring theme of the various pieces of your work? Yeah, I would say the the theme is, um, uh, you know, oriented and also the kind of osteopathic medicine philosophy that I have is that, you know, there's an inherent tendency of the body to want to heal, to get to uh, balance to get to better health and and stay and maintain that. And I think about that as this notion of the patient isn't just 
the person in front of me or their family that they live with or their loved ones. But I think about the neighborhood and the community as my patient. And, you know, doctoring in underserved communities is a vehicle for social change and partnering with communities to change their future and redesigning uh, and designing care models to be affordable of high quality and equitable and just is really, I think, the thread that ties many of my experiences and theory of change together. But I know that if we can lift everyone up to be healthy and stay healthy, we're better as a community, we're better as a state, we're better as a nation. And there's a lot of learning I think we can take from the global community uh, where community health workers and meeting people where they're at um, has helped drive changes and outcomes and, and better health. I think the intersection of public health and healthcare delivery is really important. I think through COVID, you know, we've really seen that as a critical issue. And I would say that that's uh, another theme that comes out of that. These are entities and, and spaces where there should be collaboration, where we should, you know, reduce the life expectancy gap that just separates, you know, by almost 20 years in two miles in Chicago. You know, the other is um, dancing as a kid was something I really loved doing. But it also in medical school and beyond kept me from burning out. It's kept a smile on my face through good times and bad. And, you know, I think I want to incorporate it as part of my toolbox. And so I would dance at the patient's bedside, engaging their spirit and their smile. And it had a lot of impact on them and their health. So I think that, you know, when one of my patients called me the dancing doctor, really stuck and really incorporated thinking about different ways of, of helping people achieve health. And and part of that's also going upstream, thinking about addressing social needs, social determinants, and then structural and systemic issues. I can't remember where I found this, but you, you have said to your younger self, the advice is to dance into discomfort to grow. And I wonder if there's an example from the past year of an example of that. Yeah, I think uh, one, I think early on over the last year was um, stepping outside of a role in which I was working at a large policy and a systemic level at the AHA and getting more to that place of community. And even though I was fortunate to do that work, you know, with hospitals around the country, with community-based partners and organizations across the country, like the Hospital Community Collaborative, uh, with physicians through the Physician Alliance and our equity work, you know, I, what I found was I was very comfortable and making impact and feeling fulfilled in that environment. But I also felt like because I wasn't seeing patients on the regular, because I wasn't at the ground level, because I wasn't developing and implementing community programs as well as those that could scale, you know, and we did that a little bit with our age-friendly health systems work. And as a geriatrician, I, I really was proud of that work with the John A. Hartford Foundation, the Institute for Healthcare Improvement and the Catholic Health Association. But it was a really important time to take care of patients. And COVID, you know, was right there in front of us, um, coming hard and fast. I stepped away to be able to, to do that. And I was deeply concerned about the direction of the country. And so I wanted to organize, you know, around registering people to vote, uh, helping them see the important issues, but to take care of patients uh, and think about my public health roots. You know, I, I started my career, my first job out of training as the managing deputy commissioner of health in the city of Chicago and their chief innovation officer working closely with Dr. Bashar Shakir, who was commissioner at the time. And I really felt the power of driving towards a healthy city and public health and healthcare delivery coming together. And so 
you know, the opportunity to help the Illinois Department of Public Health, uh, particularly around reducing transmission and coordinating data and technology to provide insight for decisions and their response to COVID in long-term care nursing homes. It was a really difficult thing, but you know, it's been really exciting and uh, to make that transition. I've also you know, had the opportunity to think about reporting and, and communicating about the pandemic and lifting up messages to the public uh, in my work with ABC News. Even though I've done a little bit of that in the past and have been communicating in other roles, uh, reporting and talking about these issues in that kind of framework was also something where I kind of dance on the edge of discomfort. And I think that that's really important that I think we got to find those moments where we not only dance on the edge of discomfort, but lean into the discomfort and lean into the, the kind of uncertainty and be able to sit with it, manage it, and come out with kind of a reflective approach and, and take action. One of my mentors, uh, Professor Marshall Gans uh, at the Harvard Kennedy School, has said that it's really about enabling purpose in the face of uncertainty. And that resonates with me really well. I know you're involved in the this is our shot movement. You know, I've gotten vaccinated and I feel really fortunate and I was worked very hard to get it. But I know that there are people who are reticent or hesitant. And I wonder for those of us who aren't healthcare providers and want to be helpful, but also don't want to do the wrong thing either. Are there ways that that those of us who believe strongly in the power of the vaccine and want that for everybody can encourage others? I think there is an incredibly important role for the American public in helping accelerate vaccinations. We've seen the importance of credible, trusted messengers like uh, Health Heroes through the This Is Our Shot movement really play an important role to bring people to yes that were on the fence or didn't want to get vaccinated. There are a number of messages that the, the public can drive forward. One, their own story of being vaccinated, if they happen. I think that experience and talking about it about how they might have been feeling in that moment, afraid or not sure if they want to go get it. Also about their why. You know, why do you want to be vaccinated? You know, and I think having a conversation about this, we found that being empathetic and listening to concerns has been really important. Um, having community influencers, people that they trust, whether in their own family, their colleagues, people they work with. And I remember I spoke over several days with a frontline worker in my building where I live who um, does so much to take care of us and clean, who is really reticent. But then over time saying that, you know, the vaccinations have gone through the same process of study and evaluation as other vaccines have, that they're safe and effective. They prevent hospitalizations and death, all three of them, that they'll allow you to do the things you know you want to and that you love safely and keep others safe in that process. I think with populations that are vulnerable, people of color, uh, validating and listening to their concerns, but then also fighting the misinformation that may be coming at them, because it's coming at them in a lot of different ways. From the community, one story that becomes the narrative of the community, which is not true, it's a myth, to their own life experience and history. So it's important, I think, to listen and to, with science and evidence, talk about those messages. The other is asking open-ended questions about their fears and reservations and, and then engaging in a, in a dialogue about that. And I think we got to you know, honor that there was mistrust, there's been racism, there's really been challenges that are causing people to feel like they're not sure. And so I think sometimes that takes, I know, three or four or five conversations. And then I think we got to make it easy for people to do 
it was really hard for some of the population to get vaccinated, but we've gone to their churches, to the schools, into the community, to homebound seniors, into the home. Just last week, we did 300 vaccinations at our clinic, and I was encouraged by the outpouring of people of color coming in to get vaccinated. And then they become ambassadors, the voice that talks about how important the shot is to their family and community. and to you for joining us. If you enjoyed our discussion, I hope you'll listen to part two, which focuses on healthcare AI and data liquidity. If you want to hear more podcasts like this one, subscribe to Genia Conversations on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The views, information, or opinions expressed by the guests of Genia Conversations Redefining Healthcare are their own and do not necessarily represent the policy or position of Genia LLC. Many thanks for listening.